Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. My name is Stephen. I am the salt director here at Candeo, and it is great to be with you all. So back when I was in high school, my dad took me and my brothers to a men's retreat at Twin Lakes Bible Camp, and it was an awesome retreat. We did a ton of fun activities. There was great teaching, great food, all those things. But the pinnacle kind of highlight of the entire retreat, as far as activities were concerned, was the men's skeet shoot tournament. It was a great tournament. We went out to this cornfield, began shooting skeet shoot, all that. It was great. But the thing that made this skeet shoot more special than other skeet shoots that we've been a part of is that we had a little thing called tannerite, which is awesome. So tannerite is a substance. You mix it together and then it is an explosive when it has a high velocity impact, aka a rifle shoots it. So it's super fun because you set up targets, things like that. You can see them explode. And most of the time when you're doing tannerite, you're doing about half pound to one pound like case it or like kind of containers of it and it creates an explosion that's cool all of that so we're blowing up tannerite best skeet shoot ever i don't know why we didn't think about putting well it wouldn't have exploded i was thinking tannerite on a clay pigeon that'd been fun but it wouldn't have exploded it's fine so we're having a good time the finale though of this tannerite skeet shoot is the organizers put together a five pound container of tannerite Now, again, I said most of the time you're doing half pound to one pound. I think they only sell it up to two pounds. So they made their own container. I wasn't the organizer, it wasn't my decision, maybe a bad decision, I don't know. I'll let you decide. So we set this five pound container of Tannerite about 150 yards away from us in the cornfield and got all set up. But the thing was that they set this container of Tannerite into a dishwasher. We're about to have a great time. So the, you know, sharpshooter, he gets in position, he's ready, he starts shooting at it. It takes him probably like 10 shots to actually hit it because of the distance and everything. Bad aim, all of that, all of the indicators of that you're having a safe and good time. So he finally hits it and it was the biggest explosion I've ever seen in my life. So it explodes and with your eyes, you could see a visible shockwave leaving this tannerite explosion. You could see the shockwave with your eyes. And then as you saw it go out, you could feel it like a delayed, like it hits your body. It was incredible. But as it explodes, as you'd imagine, the dishwasher is just shredded into pieces. And those pieces begin flying into the air. They begin raining down. And then they begin landing within about 10 feet of where we're standing. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, 10 feet margin is not enough. When there's an explosion, I want a little bit more comfort zone, maybe like 50 feet or so. And so the organizers had significantly underestimated the power of this explosive. And that's a dangerous thing. When you're dealing with explosives, you have to estimate the power of them accurately. Otherwise, you could have injury, harm, even death. It is a dangerous thing to underestimate the power of an explosive. What we're going to see this morning is that there is something else that we use every single day of our lives that has a significant power. It contains a power in it that has sent shockwaves across our world, shockwaves across the lives of people, and we use it every single day. And yet most of us live our days completely unaware of the power that this object that we possess contains and that we significantly underestimate the power of this object. What it is, is the tongue. 
Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So many of us have completely underestimated the power of the tongue. And so our main question this morning is, how have you underestimated your tongue's power? How have you underestimated the power of your words? And what we're going to do is we're going to look in the book of Proverbs to see this established. And we're going to kind of work through this question, how we underestimate the power of our tongue in two parts. The first part is I want to create a biblical understanding of how the Bible presents this concept of words. So what is the biblical view of our words? And then second, as we begin to see what the Bible says about our speech, we need to ask, then how do we as God's people use our words in a way that honors him? So biblical view of words. Second, how do we as God's people use our words? And we're going to keep coming back to that question over and over again. How are you underestimating the power of your words? All right, so first, a biblical view of words. We're gonna be in Proverbs 18, 21. That is gonna be our key text for this morning. I've already quoted a portion of that verse, but that's where we're gonna start as we're trying to understand what the Bible says about words. Proverbs 18, 21. So it says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. The first thing that we see is that power, death and and life are in the power of the tongue. First, I wanna point out that the tongue has power. The Bible doesn't want us to think that our words aren't impactful or don't carry weight. No, they have power. They can actually cause results. James, in his epistle, he compares the tongue to a small boat rudder or a bit in the mouth of a horse or a spark that causes a forest fire. Even though it's a small thing, it has incredible power. They're small objects, but they can create a huge result. And it is incredibly dangerous to be naive to this truth. It's incredibly dangerous to be unaware of the power that our tongues have. If you underestimate the power of your tongue, you could cause incredible pain, injury, harm, and even death. So again, how are you underestimating the power of your tongue? So if the tongue has power, what does it have power to do? Well, it said the two things in the first part of the verse. It said, again, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. The tongue is powerful enough to cause death. It is powerful enough to cause life. So how does it cause death? Let's start there. The tongue has a destructive power. The tongue can ruin lives. We have seen the tongue cause wars because of what people have said. We've seen the tongue cause chaos and riots. The evidence of our tongue's ability to cause ruin is overwhelming. And it's not just out there, but also in our personal life. So many of you are walking into this room today carrying the stinging words of a destructive parent. You have had friendships divided because of words said. I can think of sentences that have left my mouth that I'm just like, oh, I want to take that back. That was a destructive sentence. A sentence that was a five pound explosion in the life of someone I loved. Words have the power of death. Do not underestimate them. 
Your tongue is a small object, but it has the destructive potential of a spark in a dry forest. It's a dangerous thing to underestimate it. So we hear all that and we might think, man, okay, if my tongue could cause that much damage, if my tongue could cause that much harm, then it's probably better for me to just shut up and not talk at all. But not only does our tongue have the power of death, but the Proverbs wants us to see that our tongue has the power of life. And so just because our tongue has the power of death, the solution isn't to shut up, but we have to use our tongue for the power of life. So again, Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of tongue. While we should be stopped in our tracks by the destructive power of death that our tongue has, we shouldn't close our mouths, but we should see the incredible opportunity that we have to use our tongue to bring life. When I ask, how are you underestimating the power of your tongue? You maybe immediately thought more of underestimating the destructive power it has. But it's very possible that we also are equally underestimating the life-giving power that our tongue has. God has given you a powerful tool, a tool that has the power of life. Your words are powerful. Solomon Rexius, the national salt director in Ames, as he was teaching through James 3, he said, similar to God, when God spoke, he created worlds. We, in a similar way, when we speak, we have the ability to create as well. Your tongue has the power to create courage in the life of your children. Your tongue has the power to create hope in someone who is suffering. Your, power has, your tongue has the power to create reconciliation where there's brokenness. Your tongue has the power to create clarity where there's confusion. Your tongue has the power to create change where there's complacency. Your tongue has the power of life. Use it. Do not underestimate its power. Are you underestimating the power that your tongue has in the life of your children? Are you underestimating the power that your tongue has in the life of those who report to you at work? Are you underestimating the power that we as the church have with our tongues to speak into a world of darkness, light, and life? Are you underestimating the power that your tongue has inside Connection Group when you have the opportunity to speak life and encouragement to one another? Don't underestimate the power of your tongue. It has the power to bring death and life. The verse continues. It says this. It says, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, scholars and commentaries kind of offer three possible explanations for what that phrase means. It's a little confusing at first. Those who love it will eat its fruit. What does that mean? Well, one possible explanation sees it totally positive, that those who love it embrace this life-giving power the tongue has will eat the positive fruit that it brings about. There's also a negative, like it could be potentially negative. Those who love just airing careless words and hearing themselves talk, they're going to eat the fruit of the consequence of not being intentional with their tongue and they'll experience death. Then there's an explanation of kind of the middle ground. Well, it could be that those who recognize and embrace the power that the tongue has will experience its results, both good or bad. Regardless of which of those three it is, it really doesn't matter. All three of those could be established from other verses. But the common thread between all of those is this. 
your tongue will produce a result. Your speech will produce a result. We can't just talk and nothing happens. Your speech will produce a result. Those who love it, those who recognize either its value or its potential harm will see a result come about from their words. All right, so where are we at? Your words have power. They have the power of death and life, and they will cause a result. We could summarize that by saying that verse describes what our words do. That's a great summary of when the Bible talks about our words, what our words do. But the Bible goes deeper and also talks about what our words reveal. Flip over with me to Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, we see Jesus bring up this idea as he's teaching on our words. It's not just that our words do something, but our words also reveal something about us. He says this in verse 34. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from the storeroom of good. And an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus is saying here that your words reveal the condition of your heart. That if you have a problem with your words, it's not just that your tongue is broken, but there's actually brokenness in your heart. And it's not enough to just scrub your tongue with soap. You actually need your heart cleansed. Jake pointed this out last week. He said, how do you know what is the condition of your heart? He said, listen to what you say. That reveals what is in your heart. So to have a biblical understanding of our words, we not only need to know what they do, but we also need to know what they reveal. Your words are telling the story of your heart. They're exposing what has your devotion, what has your affection. They reveal your character. They reveal the wickedness that's within you. A year ago when Jake was teaching on James 3, he says, what you pour into a cup is what will pour out of it. He says, that is how cups work. What you pour in is what pours out. How could you possibly expect to pour death into your heart and expect life to pour out? Your words reveal the condition of your heart. If you have any hope of embracing the power of your words for life, then you have to deal with your heart, your character, your sin, your wickedness, what motivates you, what has your affection, what has your devotion. But Jesus points out that not only do our words reveal what's in our heart, but also that we will be judged by our words. Look back at verse 36. He says this, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. I've been asking, how are you underestimating the power of your words? That it's a dangerous thing to underestimate the power of your words. And maybe as I've said that you can think of ways that your words have caused death outside of you. And that's absolutely true and we have to be diligent about that, but the reality is that our words not only cause death outside of us, but our words also cause death within us. 
that in a very ultimate sense, our words are the thing that will bring about our eternal death and condemnation before God. That is our words that we will be held accountable for. Your tongue has power to cause death, not just outside of you, but to cause death within you. And Jesus is warning us here that you will give an account for every careless word that you speak and by your words, you will be condemned. Are you underestimating your word's power? Imagine the horror you would feel if you had found out that we have actually been recording everything you've said your entire life. And I were to tell you that we combined the worst things you've ever said into about a five minute clip and we're gonna play that for everyone now. That would be overwhelming. When I consider the things that have left my mouth, the things that I am condemned by, it would be overwhelming to think that you all would hear those. There is a reality that while we might think that our words are pure and honorable, that when we compare the quality of our words to the perfection of God, we all begin to realize just how unworthy and unclean our lips are. This is exactly what happened to a man named Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God. It was literally his profession to speak on God's behalf. And we might think, hey, if anybody has a chance of having honorable lips, of saying the right thing, of being acquitted by his tongue, it would have to be a prophet of the Old Testament. Here's Isaiah's experience when he got into the presence of God. Isaiah 6, if you want to look there, otherwise it will be on the screen. Here was Isaiah's experience. Here's what it says, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe was fill, filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. This is an incredible scene where Isaiah is experiencing the holiness, the glory, the transcendence of God. In the throne room, he stands. And while he is in the presence of God, here is what he immediately becomes aware of. Verse five, then I said, woe is me for I am ruined. In the presence of God, Isaiah became acutely aware of just how unworthy he was before God. And what is the thing that he immediately points to as the source of his unworthiness? He says, I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. The first thing that Isaiah became aware of that was broken about him when he was in the presence of God was the uncleanliness of his lips the words that he had spoken that were dishonorable and condemning. He goes on and says, I live among a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. When Isaiah saw the king, the Lord of armies, he became aware of just how wretched his lips were. And again, we might think to ourselves that our speech is pretty good, pretty pure. But when we compare our speech to the glorious perfect, perfection of God, we will begin like Isaiah to realize that we all stand condemned before God because of what has come off of our lips. 
And so if a prophet of God who spoke on behalf of God couldn't even be acquitted by the quality of his lips, what hope is there for us? Here's what happens, verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. When I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah's mouth was touched by the coal of God's grace and it cleansed his mouth of his uncleanliness. God's grace removed the iniquity from Isaiah and atoned for his sin that his mouth had caused. And that same grace is available for all of us who stand condemned because of what has come off of our mouths. And how is it that God could offer us this grace? The only way was if the same God who spoke the world into creation if the same God who watched humanity manipulated by the words of Satan, if the same God who gave by his words the great promises to Abraham, if the same God who gave his word to us in the law and the prophets, if that God would become the word who took on flesh and dwelt among us, and would come with truth and grace in his speech, and would be silent before his accusers and go to the cross, and if the word who became flesh on the cross would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And hear silence. That is the only way that we could have a new word spoken over us. Not a word of condemnation, but a word of mercy. Not a word of rebellion, but a word of adoption. Not a word of guilt, but a word of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ on the cross heard silence from heaven so that we wouldn't be condemned for the words that have left our mouths, we can experience the grace of God because Jesus took the fiery coal of God's wrath for us on the cross. That is the, the biblical view of words that words have power for death and life, that words reveal the condition of our hearts and that it was by the word that took on flesh that we are saved from the condemnation that we face from our words. And if that is true, if we are people who have experienced the grace of God through Christ, then how should we use our words moving forward? How should people whose hearts have been transformed use their words in a way that honors God? Well, Proverbs gives us a picture of the characteristics of this speech, the speech that should mark God's people. So go back to Proverbs. You know what? You don't even have to because I'm just going to blitz through a lot of these really fast. You're not going to keep up unless you are literally the fastest person on earth with your fingers. So good luck. What should our speech as God's people who have been redeemed by God, what should our speech look like? Well, Proverbs gives us a picture of the speech of God's people. I'm going to start out with my brother's favorite proverb, probably favorite verse. It says this, what should the speech of God's people be like? Well, verse 2714, if one blesses his neighbor with a loud voice in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. It's a real verse. 
And that should be taken to heart to all you mourning people. Please, a little quieter. The speech of God's people should be marked by healing words. 15.4, the tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. We should be using our tongue as God's people to bring healing and not to break spirits. The speech of God's people should be restrained. 10.19, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. We should talk much less and listen much more. Where there's many words, sin is unavoidable. We should, as God's people, be restrained in our talking. Our speech as God's people should be marked by purity. 4.24, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. We should avoid perverse language. We should have a purity of language as God's people. We should use our speech in a discerning way. 26.9, a proverb in the mouth of a fool is like a stick with thorns brandished by the hand of a drunk. It is possible to know the truth and to have a proverb and to know the right thing, but not know when to apply it. We should use discernment in our speech, knowing how to bring truth into the lives of people in a way that isn't like a drunk person with a stick with thorns. God's people's speech should be marked by honesty. 12:17. Whoever speaks the truth declares what is right, but a false witness speaks deceit. And in so many of these instances, again, we have to remember that our speech reveals our hearts. It's not enough to just say, hey, we got to stop lying. We've got to ask, what in my heart is causing me to lie? What am I devoted to that I'm so devoted to that that I'm willing to lie to protect it? We need honest speech. Our speech should be marked by gentleness. 15.1, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Our speech should be instructive. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools just blurts out foolishness. Our speech should be corrective, rebuking. 28:23. One who rebukes a person will later find more favor than one who flatters with his tongue. We shouldn't just be flattering and manipulative in the way we use our tongue, but we should use it to rebuke and be honest and actually help people. It should be timely, 2511. A word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in silver settings. We should use, be perceptive enough to know when we need to speak into the life of other people. It should be appropriate, 26, 18, 19. Like a madman who throws arrows, so is the person who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. There's absolutely a time and place for humor. But we need to know as God's people when it is appropriate and not use this, I was only joking, excuse to try to conceal and deceive our neighbors. Our speech should be controlled. Without wood, fire goes out. Without gossip, conflict dies down. As charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling and strife. A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's inmost being. Gossip is such an acceptable sin. So many of us have just accepted that gossip is okay in our life. 
And yet that is speech that should not mark God's people. And it reveals something wicked about our hearts when we give in to gossip. That I can't handle the success of, others, of other people, so I need to tear them down behind their backs. That I can't handle being the most uh, significant person in the room, so I need to say something that draws the attention back to myself, and I'm going to reveal something about someone else that shouldn't be revealed. Our speech should be controlled, not giving in to gossip. Our speech as God's people should be marked by humility. 28, 13, the one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. We need to have a humility in our speech when we approach God in prayer. A humility in speech that is marked by dependence and vulnerability and authenticity. Confessing our weaknesses and sins And not only before God, but before the community of God. Owning the reality that we are weak and vulnerable and sinful people. But when we own our weaknesses and sins and vulnerabilities, it doesn't, it highlights God's grace. We need to be people marked by a humility and speech. We need to be people who are marked by an intentionality with our words. 13.3, the one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. We need to be so intentional with every word that leaves our mouth. The one who opens his mouth invites his own ruin. There are about 90 Proverbs that, speak, that discuss how we use our words. That was 14 of them. God has a lot to say about what kind of speech marks his people. People who have had their hearts transformed by the grace of God. We need to be people who don't underestimate the power of our words, the power of death that they have and the power of life. We need to be people that recognize what they reveal about our hearts. And we need to be people who humbly realize that we are in need of grace because our words have brought condemnation upon ourselves but then filled with joy because of the grace we've received in Christ. We need to be people who are marked by a purity of speech that is wise. It was May of 1978, and it was a Saturday night, and this is one of my family's favorite stories. And on this night, 43 years ago this month, um, four words were spoken that forever changed the course of my family. My grandparents were in their 30s, and my mom was in fifth grade. My aunts were also in elementary school. And uh, what led up to this Saturday night in May was a good childhood friend of my grandfather who they used to party together. They used to hang out all the time. He had gone to Iowa State to the vet med school. And while he was there, he met a man named Dr. Tassel. And Butch, as he met with Dr. Tassel, began to hear the gospel explained to him. And Butch put his faith in Christ. And coming out of this reckless, rebellious party lifestyle, he began to think through everyone that he once partied with and was rebellious with. And he had learned that my grandparents had moved to Des Moines. And so Butch set up a meetup with my grandpa and they met. And Butch began to explain to my grandpa what God had done in his life. And he said at the end, he said, Lauren, if you ever want to know more, or if you are ever interested in learning more about God, you should check out this church. And he wrote on his business card, Grandview Park Baptist. 
And so on this particular Saturday in May, 43 years ago, my grandpa was at the end of his rope after living a reckless and rebellious lifestyle, looking for anything and everything to satisfy him, going through being an alcoholic, everything. He walked into the house and said four words that shocked my grandmother to the point that as the story goes, she almost fell off her chair. The four words that he said that Saturday night were, let's go to church. And the next day they went to Grandview Park Baptist where Dr. Tassel had now become the pastor of. In the next couple of weeks, my grandfather surrendered his life to Christ. Four words 43 years ago changed the trajectory of our family. And if it weren't for those four words spoken 43 years ago, Isla and Jack wouldn't know the lyrics to Jesus Loves Me. I wouldn't be standing here on this stage. I probably wouldn't even exist. There would be countless individuals who wouldn't know Jesus because my grandfather wouldn't have shared the gospel with them. Four words 43 years ago changed the eternal trajectory of our family. Words are powerful. Do not underestimate the power of your words. What four words could be the difference between you staying on the path of death you are on and you changing the course of your family forever? What four words do you need to say that maybe 43 years from now, your grandson would say, when my grandpa said this, it changed our entire family's life. Is it, I am so sorry. I need to forgive. Do you know Jesus? I love you, sweetheart. Daughter, you are beautiful. Son, you are strong. I am so proud. I need help. You matter to God. What are the four words that you need to say that could change the entire trajectory of your life, the life of your family, and the life of our church? And not only four words, but what are the words that you need to begin saying that cultivate an environment of life, that leaves a legacy of life for your children, that leaves a legacy of life for your community, that leaves a legacy of life for our world. Words are powerful. Do not underestimate their power. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reality that you have saved us. When I think about the the words and phrases that have left my mouth, I am immediately ashamed and feel guilty because I know that there have been so many instances where my mouth has not honored you. My mouth has not honored the reality that people are made in your image. My mouth has not honored the reality that you love us so much that you died for us. God, thank you for your salvation that Christ took the fiery coal of your wrath so that we could receive the coal of your grace that cleansed the unrighteousness of our lips. God, let us in response to our hearts being changed by your grace be people who out of an overflow of that transformed heart be people who are marked by wise speech, 
speech that is gentle and humble, speech that is truthful, speech that is controlled. God, give us eyes to see the impact that our words have. Help us to not underestimate the power of our words. It is a dangerous thing to underestimate the power that our tongue can have in our life and in the lives of others. And God, I pray that as we, as God's people, use our tongues to honor you, that we would begin to give the world a new picture of what it looks like to use our speech in a life-giving way, in a world that is full of people with unclean lips. Let us stand out as people who are self-controlled with our tongues, who turn away anger with a gentle response, who are humble and confess our weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Let us give the world a new picture of what it looks like to be people who have had our hearts captivated by our affections for you. And out of that overflows life-giving words that change the course of lives and eternity. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.